Hey, podcast listeners, Ethan Millard and Alex Curie here from the Nightside Project podcast here at KSL Podcast. Get into Zen Headlines with us on the Nightside Project. Use hashtag Zen Headlines on social media to share stories that make you think, make you smile, spread love, spread joy, all those things. We'll share them on the Nightside Project podcast. One of the most popular podcasts ever. Nightside is a KSL podcast. Subscribe for free anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. Today on the show, we've got Joe Paluzzi. And they started to figure out, okay, well, what if we just created a 24-7 financial newscast targeting these people and just delivering the best, absolute best value there is around all the financial problems that they would have? So there's a really great picture that I show in my presentations that basically it's a production video production studio and it's right inside the bank at Yuska Bank. This is another episode of our innovation and leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on Episode 6. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper, but uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co, and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Joe, thanks for making time. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So um, we're big fans. We're, we're groupies of, of uh, all you guys at Content Marketing Institute and your book specifically. Um, but tell us about the new book coming out or that just oh, came out here on the weekend. Oh, book number five. Yeah, we're in launch mode. So my good friend and colleague, Robert Rose, and I, we decided about a year ago that this book needed to happen. So, I mean, as you know, 2013, I wrote Epic Content Marketing, which is all about how to create a content marketing strategy. Content Inc. was all about how you, if you build an audience first, a loyal and trusted audience, then you can figure out what your business model will be later and you could sell all kinds of things. And Killing Marketing is specifically for leaders, executives, chief marketing officers, anyone that has some kind of marketing budget, because we're, we're trying to tell them that everything has changed in marketing and you have no idea, like you think you know, but you really don't know that the media business model and the product business model are identical. And you are competing with people that you never thought you would compete with. And if we don't start thinking about really focusing on building loyal audiences 
and then generating revenue streams that you'd never thought was possible because you do that, you're going to be lost. Like the, I really feel in the next five to 10 years, like the future of the business model in general for organizations is going to come out of the marketing department and specifically out of building audiences. And when I say that to executives, they look at me like I got two heads and I'm like, that's fine. I don't care that I really absolutely believe that this is happening. And I don't feel that content is going to be of service to marketing as much anymore. I think that content is going to drive audiences and you are going to see all kinds of change happen for marketing. And uh, we touch on that killing marketing and, and basically what, what we thought was marketing wasn't really marketing. And we really have to start thinking differently. Well, I, I'm a huge fan. I think the thing that really tipped me over, and I know you guys have covered them in, in other, you know, on the website and other books and stuff, but I feel like this book reemphasized it again is, you know, coming from more of the professional side, right? We're not, you know, originally investment banking, used to run a private equity fund. I think that at least some of the folks I hang out with, sometimes they discount things as a marketing fad or, or you know, oh, they're just doing this, yep. this thing, right? But I need to get real work done or something, right? Yeah, and sure. To, to me, I think one of my favorite examples is the Yiska Bank, and I'm probably saying it wrong, but can you? No, that's right. Can that's you correct. cover that? Just a little bit of their story and and how most people don't think about something like this coming out of a bank. Oh, I love Yiska Bank. One of my favorite case studies on the planet. So basically, Yiska Bank, second uh, one of the largest banks in Denmark. Uh, this is years ago. And the executive team got together and they basically said, you know, what are we getting for all this sponsorship? Basically what they were doing, they were sponsoring soccer matches. They were one of the key sponsors. They had their logo branding up everywhere for these soccer matches. And they, they asked the executives, asked the marketing team and said, what are we getting for this spend? And the marketing team said, I don't know. Like, <laughs> we've just been doing it for so many years. This is what we do. We sponsor this stuff. And they came up with this incredible idea and said, well, what, do, what if we become sort of the leading go-to financial resource for these young, I want, I'm going to say millennials, but I hate using that term, younger millennials that we're trying to target. I said, well, it's never been tried before. Bank has never done it. And they started to figure out, okay, well, what if we just created a 24-7 financial newscast targeting these people and just delivering the best, absolute best value there is around all the financial problems that they would have? So there's a really great picture that I show in my presentations that basically it's a production, video production studio, and it's right inside the bank at Yuska Bank, which is just amazing to me. And they, they created a tagline. They actually say, we are the only media company with its own bank. And it took them about, you know, it, get, it took a while to get going. They were experimenting. They weren't used to it and it took them about 24 months to really build this audience. And now it's basically a 24-7 newscast and they have all these special episodes and, and insight into the market and all this stuff going on. And they have created possibly the leading financial news channel in Denmark. And so think about that for a second. This is a bank. I mean, this is banks don't aren't innovative. <laughs> they don't do things like this. But Yuska Bank absolutely did it. And now all kinds of things are happening from it because they're, you know, they used to spend uh, you know, millions of dollars on sponsoring these soccer tournaments. And now they're getting people that actually want to sponsor their stuff. So they're, they're driving revenue from their marketing instead of spending out and distracting people with their logo. They have become the media company. So, you know, instead of, instead of being a brand around the event, they are called in to cover the event. They say, oh, please, would you come into our event? We'll give you free access. We'll give you a lot of the free signage if you actually cover the event because you have an audience. I mean, just think about that. One of my favorite examples of all time. And 
And if a bank can do it, I think any company could do it. Well, and I feel like, and, and I'm correct me if, if you think I'm saying this wrong, but I feel okay. like in the in killing marketing, you guys almost make the case that that there's a difference between the type of marketing that helps position in the customer mind so that you're on the list as they're going into product consideration when they ever think they want what you sell versus like ROI lead generation activity of what did we make on this pay-per-click? Am I, am I out to lunch? Oh, yeah. Or do you I, feel like there is kind of a separation in these strategies? Well, I mean, I, we don't dissect it that much. Like yeah. if you really care about your, uh, you know, optimizing the click of your AdWords or something like that. Fine. I mean, there's a time and a place for all that. I mean, if you go down the campaign, the problem is, is that the strategies are broken. So we're, we're, you know, okay, great. You want social shares, you want downloads, you can optimize an imperfect process and you can get as good at it. But the way that we look at it is it's imperfect. It's not going to get any better. Advertising is not going to necessarily improve. So at some point, you know, you're not going to see any return off of that. So why don't you just go direct, you know, instead of focusing on, oh, I want my ads to work a little bit better. Why don't you actually go direct and build that audience? And if you say, hey, I absolutely want to spend advertising, which, you know, Robert and I aren't against advertising, I would want you to advertise your own content so that you can get them to sign up and opt in for something that you can send them regularly that, that's of true value so that you don't have to distract them whenever the time is right in your campaign cycle that you actually want to sell something which i think is the absolute worst way to communicate so yeah do you, uh, there's so much talk and there's been so much books about oh we've got to optimize the funnel if there isn't even is a funnel and we we want to build awareness and then when conversion blah 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 all that stuff frankly i don't care about any of it because all i'm focused on is are you focusing on one audience do you have a very specific thing to say and if they start believing that you're the, the resource for them and they absolutely look to you when they're having any kinds of problems or pain points or challenges, you'll be able to sell them all kinds of things. So right now, most companies have one or two revenue streams. They're like, I want to sell this product or this service. Or if you're a media company, you're like, I want to sell this subscription program or I want to sell this advertising. We're too limited. There's 10 different, as we talk about in the book, there's 10 different ways to generate revenue from a loyal audience. And most companies are only looking at what they have to sell when the possibilities are endless and most likely in the next five to seven years, you're not going to be selling what you have anyways. You're going to be selling something else. So if we focus on the audience's needs, we could better make that transition. Well, uh, you know, you, you certainly sold us. I mean, I think for me, I look at, um, so one of the guests we've had on the show recently was a, he's a copywriter at uh, Whole Foods, right? And his wife used to work at Red Bull. And you think at Red Bull, people are not likely going through the calculation of, well, if we cover this snowboarding event, how many cans does this event sell, right? Like that's not the equation that's likely happening in those conversations, right? Well, Red Bull is not measured by the number of cans that they sell. Now, granted, they have measurements that say, okay, well, how much awareness did this, just like any other company, did this generate enough awareness, all the social shares, and did we get attention? And what was the likelihood of that person to buy more and sentiment analysis and all that stuff? That's fine. That traditional marketing metrics people, they're doing that. But the people that run Med Red Bull Media House, which I would consider one of the lead elite media companies in the world, they're measured on profitability. So just think about that for a second. They're measured on the amount of rev direct revenue and direct profit that they throw off because – 
Now they don't have to go get budget. They're just creating their own budget. They reinvest that into their own stuff. And their business model is actually the exact same as ESPN or New York Times or Washington Post. There's no different. But they just happen to be perceived differently because they sell Red Bull energy drink. So it's just interesting that we're seeing that like if you say, okay, well, of course, the New York Times model is different than Cisco Systems model. And I would say, well, you say, of course, but that's your perception. Like if you really looked at it on paper when they're with the content that each of those companies is creating and how they begin to measure it, look at it, monetize it, it's actually the exact same business model. We just happen to perceive it as differently. Well, you know, we certainly at our company, we, we've been trying, you know, we started out with the content version where we started the podcast before we built the consulting firm, right? And nowadays yes. we're trying to transition this where we're actually revenue generating from the podcast. And we've got a, you know, we went and got one of these, we've got one of these fancy video cameras, a red camera, right? So we're getting into video that way. Yeah. And um, this idea of, I look at one of my advisors when I used to run a private equity fund uh, over at Bloomberg, New Energy Finance. And to me, you know, anybody who wants to say, oh, this is just, you know, Red Bull, that's just for selling stuff to teenagers. What about Syria? You know, what about stuffy businesses, Right. To me, look at Bloomberg. I mean, how do you separate Bloomberg, Bloomberg, the media company from Bloomberg, the provider of terminals, right? That's right. You can't. I mean, there's no I mean, a great example that we talk about in the book that's sort of, you know, because everybody's like, oh, of course, Coca-Cola and Procter and Gamble and their consumer companies and they can do that. And then, you know, you bring up, you know, what Bloomberg is doing. And I always bring up uh, in the book what Aero Electronics does. A lot of people don't know Aero Electronics. Aero Electronics is sort of the Amazon.com of distributing and selling electronics equipment. They're a Fortune 119 company, $24 billion in revenue and a hardcore B2B company. They went out over the last two years. They actually... The executive team was concerned because the media companies in their industry were hurting. They weren't investing in research or journalism. A lot of them were going out of business. They're like, look, our audience, our customers are so um, get so much of their information from these media companies. If they go out of business, it's going to kill us. Like we're not going to have an educated consumer base. We're not going to be able to sell innovative products. What do we do? So they over the last two years, they purchased 51 different media brands. They spent millions of dollars purchasing it, and now they've become the leading media company in the electronics industry, and they reach 76% of all electronics engineers. I mean, that's just blow-your-mind stuff, and they do it at a profit. They absolutely have are profitable with that. And people are saying, no, 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 are you kidding me? Yes, absolutely, that's happening. So they have a media company, and they also have a regular product and service company, and they're looking at how those two companies work together and integrate. But you're going to have new products, services, new revenue streams coming from the media side that you never thought possible because you are as close to the customer as you could possibly be because you're delivering their education on a daily basis. So I actually think this is a good place to pause for just a minute to tell you about one of our show sponsors. I was actually pretty excited when Skillshare reached out. You know, a lot of our listeners know I'm a real learning nerd, really into the audiobooks and things like this. And these guys have a ton of great classes. Um, there's like 16,000 classes on their website, but you only pay one monthly price. You don't have to pay per class like a number of the services out there. So it's unlimited access with a low monthly price kind of thing. But the, the breadth of the classes and the quality of them, I'm actually really impressed with. I was on there for just a few minutes and I had like a dozen classes I've, I've saved to take. There's stuff on social media marketing, mobile photography, logo design, just all sorts of things for growing a business or creative things. Um, and what's nice is they're letting me give away a free month. Um, if you go to Skillshare.com slash leader, 
uh, you can get a free month. Um, the class that I would recommend for sure right off the bat, though, is from Seth Godin. I'm a big Seth Godin fan, read all his books. A lot of my friends are too. But he's got a class on there called The Modern Marketing Workshop that I, I really could not recommend enough. It's I actually think it's better than a number of his books because it's super broken down, specific how-tos, answer this question for yourself, make a plan, write it down. Um, it's not as much general uh, marketing advice. It's like specific. You need to do stuff different if you watch this. Anyways, Skillshare.com slash leader. Get a free month. There's tons of stuff on there worth checking out. But but uh, my personal recommendation, The Modern Marketing Workshop by Seth Godin is the one that uh, I think you should at least check out. Anyways, let's get back in the interview. So when you think about this, you know, from a straight ROI standpoint, the cost of advertising to reach your percentage of your market like that, you know, you can probably put a number on what it would cost to buy that much sponsorship, that many ads yep. versus the, the idea of investing that in yourself and getting all of that for free. I mean, the ROI is just so infinitely better. Why do you think, I mean, besides that it's a new skill set, maybe people are, you know, as humans, we're scared of the unfamiliar, but what do you think is really going through CEOs' minds or these business leaders' minds when if, if they can see it that black and white. These people have to pay this many millions to access that percentage of the market. These, these people get paid to reach that access to the market. How is this not just completely dead obvious? What do you think the hurdles are that are keeping people from you, doing it? The, you just asked the eternal question. It keeps me up at night and I have no idea. I mean, I have some ideas and I'll talk to them. But this is the silliest conversation that you and I are having because when I talk to chief marketing officers at billion dollar companies and I tell them, well, instead of going out and, and interrupting an audience or building, even building it yourself, which is fine. I mean, I'm all for that. Have you considered, like any media professional that's ever lived, actually purchasing the property before you go out and build it? Now, if you come from publishing like I do, like I've, I've been in publishing media for 20 years. Before you go out and build a brand, and I've been on about 35 to 40 teams that we've actually built a content brand, the first thing you do as part of the due diligence process is you say, well, who's out there right now? Who has that audience? And maybe we can go out and buy it before we have to spend three years and build that audience. It's just That's just what you do in media. And so when I go and I talk to these chief marketing officers from these big billion-dollar companies – and they look at you like you got two heads and like, are you kidding me? Like, I could actually do that? I'm like, yeah, why not? You can absolutely do it. And we're seeing it all day. You know, L'Oreal bought makeup.com. HubSpot went out there and bought an agency uh, media site. I mean, it's happening all the time. You know, and then you got the Aero Electronics example. I mean, these are not like new things. These, these have been happening for a while. But for some reason, because I guess they didn't grow up in, in media, that they think that this is something they can't do or shouldn't do. And really, we talk about this in the book, like why some of this has happened. All these changes have happened. The control has moved specifically to the consumer. They have a 24-7 informational device with them at all times. But our marketing, communications, and PR departments haven't changed in 75 years. Yeah. Really. I mean, even with all the social media and everything that's happened, we're still set up the exact same way. The people that were then trained in university around marketing and communications, they were trained that exact same way. Look at most of the textbooks, books that you get in university, even though they'll add social media and new PR and all this stuff, real-time marketing and all that stuff, they don't. They still don't talk about creating your own audiences and actually having that as be an option for you, which you know we are desperate to try to change at Content Marketing Institute, but 
what you have uncovered, this is the thing that that I just can't understand that CMOs and CEOs just just can't, they just don't even see it as an option yet. But, you know, you look at such an advantage for the people that do, like um, the guys that bought CMI, right? Isn't this, yeah. their, isn't this their thinking? They want to get access to, you know, the huge loyal fan base you guys have built? They did, well, they did this, they did what I just say. So we were purchased by UBM, you know, big media and events company out of London in June of 2016. They looked at the market. They have a whole M&A team and they said, okay, well, should we, you know, we, we're a big events company. Should we go out and build it? How, how would it take us to do that? Who do we have to get? You know, look at all that stuff. Or do we just go out and buy Content Marketing Institute? They're growing. It fits with our, you know, they go do the due diligence and, you know, the acquisition happened. So that you know, that's what regular you know a regular company like a Coca Cola or um, what like a P and G or any of those companies they do that on a regular basis if they're trying to buy another toothpaste brand or or razor brand or, or Coca Cola is buying a different kind of soft drink brand they do that due diligence but you don't do it on the other side so that's what we're missing and that's what we need to figure out like. How come there's no M&A department in marketing under research and development? Why aren't we at least thinking of that? And I'm just glad for, you know, Victor Gao at Aero Electronics. You know, he's been following us for a while. Thankfully, he gave us a gift wrap case study that said, yes, you, this is how we did it. You can actually do it. And then we're trying to share that with as many people as we possibly can. Sure. Well, um, just from a personal interest point, you know, I I listen, you know, been listening to your guys's podcast, this old marketing for pretty religiously, and um, it's fun to hear you guys debate the news because you're bringing this different context to it. You know, I, I'm looking at you know the endorsements for your book, Chief Marketing Officer of Airbnb. I mean, these big companies that you're dealing with. Who's somebody out there that you? Who's somebody else out there that you feel like is doing it right? Oh, I think I mean if you even some of the endorsements, Kathy Button Bell and Emerson. She's been trying to do that for a long, long time and and having some real success at it. Um, at Content Marketing World, Linda Boff, Chief Marketing Officer at General Electric. They're really trying to make a move in that direction. The challenge is, and they say it in all their speeches. Um, moving the big ship is the toughest thing. Content marketing is all about change management. And that's why smaller companies simply are just more successful. If you have no red tape, you don't have the politics going on, and you say, we're just going to go out and do this. Like if you are an entrepreneur, solopreneur, you have a, you're a small startup, you will have infinitely better opportunity to build your own audiences or even go out and buy your own audiences instead of somebody like a Coca-Cola or a Parker Hannafin or a you know, big company like that. Uh, even a stodgy old Lincoln Electric, who is a welding company out over here, you know, a Fortune 500 welding company here in Northeast Ohio, based in Northeast Ohio, they created a whole program around ARC. It was called ARC, ARC. And what they were trying to do is they are desperate for welders. Like the biggest issue going on in their industry right now is all around. We don't have enough welders. We need to make welding cool. So they have, they've created a magazine with cool people on the cover doing welding. They have a video series about all the cool things that you can do around welding, and it's not what you think. I mean, they're trying to build an audience around that because if they don't, they believe that their business is just going to go under. So you can't advertise your way to that kind of change. Like that's, that's the difference is you have to actually – create amazing, relevant, consistent content and build an audience ongoing and get that behavior to change over time because you're delivering something of value. Yeah. Well, I think this is a great part to end for part one of the episode. Everybody, please tune in to part two. We're going to keep asking Joe about his experience seeing it from, from the inside at all these big companies. Thanks for listening. We're going to cut off part one of the interview there in the interest of time. We've had feedback that people would rather have 
20 to 30 minute episodes, so we're going to break the interviews in half. Please check back tomorrow for part two of the interview. And as always, come to iCollective.co for show notes. And to learn more about child rescue, go to the menu and, and look at our child rescue page and see if that's something that you'd like to get involved with. Thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.